the uh, the guided meditation it should be or meditation in general be it guided or not it should be about understanding first you should not be looking for a special novelty experience to come out of it it should look for clarity and understanding they will then obviously if done rightly result in freedom from suffering and peace so whether a person is just meditating for 10-15 minutes or dedicating 5 hours a day it doesn't matter what matters is that that time is spent towards establishing the mind in clarity of experience of the nature of experience that's why the instruction is necessary if you if uh, if you don't know what you what to look for if you don't know what to discern you won't find it by yourself so even as the guided meditation goes it should be guiding towards understanding as you often read about it in the suttas let's say that um, that a person does want to settle their mind without falling into sort of mystical absorptions but without over-rationalizing either so the first thing would be solitude physical solitude physically removed from other people far enough to not hear them far enough to not see them far enough to not feel that you can be encroached by them at any given time so secluded and remote once you're secluded and remote ask yourself what is really what is the goal of the practice what is what is my specific purpose what am i trying to achieve am i after happiness am i after peace am i after freedom from suffering are all these things sort of merged into one one goal that i want to achieve whatever the answer may be it should be clear that the answer is not about that experience being given to you the answer is about that experience being developed the experience of peace happiness freedom from suffering and so on so you develop it by knowing where you're supposed to develop it's what Buddha said he measure he goes and listens to the wise people a man goes in with the wise people then he reflects upon what he has said that he measures the task so measuring the task means knowing what you need to do and all the tools for freedom from suffering are already contained within your experience as a whole within the five aggregates as the buddha said the reason for suffering is craving the reason for freedom from suffering is the extinguishing of craving and craving is not to be found elsewhere 
It's not in things you crave for. It's not in things you're attached to. It's not in things that uh, that you find dear and pleasing. It's not in the world. It's not in the object of your senses. It's not in the object of your attention. It's in your attitude towards things that you can attend, perceive, and engage with. So if you were to remove the craving gradually, if you were to stop feeding it, if you were to allow it to fade away through non-maintenance, then the result is freedom from suffering. Again, within this very present experience as a whole. Not before or after, right now. So having gone to a secluded place, away from people, probably takes some time for a mind to settle in into that solitude. Whenever that is, without overdoing it, without overattending it, just start regarding yourself as part of that non-inhabited setup. You are part of that remote forest, cave, root of a tree, a hut, wherever you might be. There are trees, there are rocks, there are rivers, there are waterfalls. There is your body there as well. There are monkeys, there are birds, there are snakes. There is your body there as well. You are not separate from it. And the reason why, why it's important to start reflecting like this, because <clears throat> the whole point of um, uprooting the craving is through that non-maintenance as I just mentioned. And that non-maintenance is um, developed and discerned when, uh, when you realize that you can't maintain it even if you want to. When you realize that the very foundation of your own life is not in your own control. You have no say in it. Your life is a secondary byproduct of it. Your choices, decisions you've been making are secondary to it. And that's nothing other than impermanence that the Buddha was talking about. So you reflecting that in your solitary setup, like in this case, this cave here, this cave and huge tree trunks, broken trees, broken rocks, um, split side of the mountains and so on, your body is actually closer to those things than it is closer to your point of view. Your body belongs to these rocks and trees and um, forests, mountains and so on. Belongs as in it's, it's, it's made of the same elements. So the whole your of your body as in my, it's completely gratuitous. The only reason you can regard your body as yours is because there is something to, to be regarded as mine. And that something precedes your ownership. That something precedes your, your appropriation of this is mine. So that's what you are reminding yourself of. That's what you are, well, maybe reminding yourself or discerning it for the first time. Doesn't matter. The solitary setup, free from people, free from disturbances, where you are alone, left on your own devices, you start to see that your own point of view is actually um, almost, almost incidental 
in a grand scheme of things, grand scheme of things of the entire four great elements, the mountains, the forest that you are in, your body shares that nature, your body is that, which means as these great rocks, I mean, they're, they're huge, yet you can look and see even they break down, split and crumble. And what then is to be said about this human body of quite a soft, soft form, soft composition, mild in comparison to these granite mountains. But if the granite mountains, even they cannot escape the, the, the gradual destruction, what is to be said about this very soft body? And this is not, not for the purpose of some kind of um, poetical musings or, or romantic notions. No, it's undermining your own very sense of existence, of, which is basically your own very sense of control, mastery and ownership. So it's not necessarily going to be pleasant, especially not if it's discerned for the first time. These things are frightening for those who still want to hold on to their appropriated point of view as the owner of the body and so on. That's why people would sometimes freak out in the suttas when they would start to comprehend this. And that's why you learn how to find peace in it. It's not really optional. Fear is optional. You don't have to fear it. But you will automatically fear it if it contradicts your point of view of, of ownership, which you're refusing to let go of. So you're gradually undermining your own sense of ownership whereby, well, even the fear cannot be owned. So you stop being afraid, but you do have to accept, you do have to go into that direction. So this very body, six feet tall, surrounded by wilderness, belongs to the wilderness, that belongs to the great planet Earth that belongs to a complete set of its own laws and circumstances and accidents and, and change of elements and so on, which means not even a tiny bit, tiny grain of this human body can be mine actually, can obey me. The beating heart, the muscle that pumps the blood completely involuntarily is like these um, these rivers flowing here, the, the trees growing and so on. But if something little changes, those great things will be gone. What is to say for a little inferior, tiny muscle in your chest that pumps blood, that keeps you alive, basically, or lungs being still able to breathe. The movement of the wind in this forest, the movement of the wind on the mountain, the movement of the wind within this body. That's it. So. Again, that's why the Buddha would talk about these things in the suttas. You, you are to, to reflect on it so that you actually feel as not in control. So that's why the virtue needs to be established beforehand. You must be dwelling restraint and keeping the precepts because if you start undermining your own sense of self, your own point of view, which is all about control and mastery, well, you start undermining your sanity very often, not always, but very often, because that fear can overwhelm, as it happened many times in the suttas. But it can't overwhelm you if your behavior has been purified beforehand, as the Buddha would say. 
So by dwelling in the solitary environment, free from others, you actually get to see that whatever personality, whatever sense of self you have created in the course of this life, it's fully dependent upon this living, operating organs of this body that are on the level of trees, rocks, rivers, mountains, and so on. And when those things come to cease, so these organs will also come to cease. They cannot possibly remain standing. So it's not a, it's not a question of, of looking for a great epiphany or, or, or some great revelation of the hidden truth. The question is of clarifying this very image, this very reflection, maintaining it and letting it endure. Letting it exist peripherally while you go and do other things. Establish your mind in it. Because you're basically establishing your mind in non-appropriation. You're establishing your mind in the impossibility of appropriation. Because it doesn't, I mean, you don't think twice about these branches and stones in here. If somebody were to ask you, is this yours? Does this belong to you? The answer is no, of course not. But if somebody were to ask, ask you about your own body, you'd say, well, it is my body. Or you might stop and think about it. But it isn't. In the same manner, these objects around you in this wilderness, accidental forest, that's also your body. It shares the same nature. None of this is yours, and that body cannot be yours. Because if it were yours, you would be in charge of your own heart. The way it beats, you could tell it to stop. You would be in charge of your own um, metabolism, your own lungs, brain, and so on. But you aren't. Any notion of control, intentionality, and choice that comes to you, it's secondary. It's fully within the container of this given body. Which means when that given body ceases to be given to you, all the things that you do on account of it will not be able to stand anymore. So seclusion, in order to stop identifying yourself with people, with external sense of control, with external sense of management, but instead as stepping back into something greater, something more accidental, something that's, that cannot be conceived to be controlled, such as wilderness. And then maintaining that, not expecting a, a, a great bolt of lightning when every answer is given to every single question. No, just maintaining that very setup, because that very setup is basically puncturing the bubble of, 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 of craving and it's slowly bleeding away. That's what I meant by non-maintenance of it. You can't stop maintaining it overnight, but you set up the environment that prevents, that cannot give rise to maintenance of craving of one, one's own appropriation. And that's how craving bleeds out, fades away. Then even if you're with people afterwards, there will not be the induction, re-induction of your own ignorance and your own appropriation. So giant roots, massive rocks, huge banyan trees, great mountains, large rivers, yet all that 
is accidental. What is to be said about the blood flowing in this body, the heart pumping, the lungs breathing? I mean, probably even these small trees and branches are more durable than this body is. Yet, somehow, this body is regarded as mine, as, in my, as it is in my control. As if it is in my control. So, it's not about denying your sense of control. It's about undermining it while it is still present. So there is me, there is this sense of I am, but you want to undermine it by seeing it fully determined by that which cannot be yours. That's how your own sense of control ceases to be yours. That's how Arahant can still act, talk, choose, prefer, without actually owning anything. Because he has fully surpassed it, surmounted it. Because the only reason people appropriate things is because they don't fully understand that they cannot do so. I mean, I can say, yes, this mountain is mine, but it's completely meaningless. It's even meaningless to me. I know it's meaningless. And there is no amount of self-induced conviction that will make me believe, no, it isn't mine. It cannot be mine. This, this planet Earth is mine. Yeah, sure. But you know that that, that that statement is hollow. Well, it's not more hollow than saying that this body is mine. It isn't. It's absolutely on the same footing. And if that is discerned, then, yeah, it will be equally meaningless for you to think that this body, this heart, this lungs, this, this, um, these senses are mine. And then there will be no problem left for you to deal with. Because you have surmounted, let go of, extinguished the basis of all problem. So you don't go around dealing with every single problem individually. You just uproot the basis for any problem to arise.